good morning, everybody. Hey, good morning, people online who are probably wondering what I've been doing up here because you can't hear me. Um, uh, welcome to Resurrection City Church. If you are just joining us, my name is Julie, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we're so glad that you're here with us. Whether you are in person or online, we're glad that we can all worship together. Um, so if you are just joining us, you're actually here at a good time. Because as I said last week, we are doing a little mini-series just on the vision and mission of Resurrection City. So why we do what we do. And as I said last week, if you are actually, uh, if you've been with us since the beginning, if you've been here since um, all two of our years that we're <laughs> celebrating in a couple weeks, I think this is really good for us to hear too, because uh, it can be really, really easy to lose track of why we do what we do. And so it's really important to remember that, to go back to those basics uh, and to remember what it is, why, what we're after, what we're trying to accomplish here. So... Last week, I quizzed you on some mission statements, um, and if you're in a community group, I gave some more trivia there. Uh, and I won't quiz you anymore today, but I, I am going to repeat our vision statement just because that's what we're talking here about here. So, to glorify God by seeing people, our city, and the world made new in Jesus, our Savior and King. And if you are in a community group, I hope someone in your group was able to answer the question uh, as if they knew the mission statement. If not... I'm telling you now, it's going to be in the material again this week. So if you want to be the person who knows it, study up. And as we talked about last week, there are kind of three things that Joel and I have identified as things that are going to help us move forward towards this mission statement. And those things are experiencing Jesus, which I talked about last week, uh, belonging to a community, which is what we're going to talk about this week, and then serving others, which is what Joel is going to talk about next week. So it all starts with experiencing Jesus, because without him, there is no mission, right? Last week I talked about how Jesus bridges the mission of God and the mission of church, and he makes it possible for us to bear God's image again by reconciling us to God, to each other, and to the mission. So today we're going to talk a little bit more about that second piece, why belonging to the community makes a difference in the mission of God. And overall, I have to say, Res City, you guys, as Joel said in the announcements, you've done a great job with community. It seems to really be a felt uh, need and something that people are looking for. And we've really seen that play out by the way people have come together, uh, even during COVID, when it's a lot harder to do that. So first of all, I just want to say, way to go. I would give you the clapping emoji if we were on Zoom right now. Um, but I still have to have something to talk about here this morning. So I'm going to dig in a little bit deeper about what it means to belong to a church community. And I'm going to tie it back to that mission, to that idea of bearing God's image uh, as a church. So I hope it encourages you and challenges you. I know it was definitely good for me to kind of dig deeper and think more about what it looks like to belong to a community. And as I was thinking about this, um, I came across a quote from Tish Harrison Warren in her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary. And she's describing how many people feel and think about church. And so I want to read it to you, and I want you to just kind of see if you've ever identified with this or kind of heard other people say similar things. So she says, for a couple of centuries now, evangelicals have focused almost exclusively on a personal relationship with God, on individual conversion and spiritual growth. Many feel that the church, if it's necessary at all, is primarily intended to serve our individual spiritual needs or to group us together with like-minded people, 
a kind of holy fraternity. She goes on to say, if we believe that church is merely a voluntary society of people with shared values, then it's entirely optional. If the church helps you with your personal relationship with God, great. If not, I know a great brunch place that's open on Sundays. And clearly this is before COVID because nothing is open on Sundays or ever. Uh, but if you, I'm just curious if that's something that you guys have heard or felt um, or just like heard other people kind of talk in similar ways. Uh, and it's okay if you have, because I honestly think that that's, for a lot of us, what we've been taught or what we've just kind of, what's been implied. Maybe it hasn't been said explicitly, but that's kind of how people have approached it or had that attitude toward church. But, and as a, okay, so, and to say, last week we talked about experiencing Jesus. Your personal relationship with God is very, very important. That's why we started with that. That's why it's the first thing. But when it comes to community, there's more than just you and Jesus. It's more that our church is more than just your interactions with God. It's also our interactions with one another. And this isn't new. Most of the New Testament is about the church. I think we can come to think of the New Testament as a, a guide for us, right? It gives us like, here are the things that will help you grow closer to God. This will be your, your personal um, spiritual roadmap. But really, a lot of the New Testament is about the church. When you read it, it's telling stories from the churches in that time period. And even, you know, moving forward in history, the Nicene and the Apostles' Creed, which are, came back from like the fourth century, and they were kind of created to summarize what Christians believe. There's a lot of history there that I won't go into. Um, but one of the lines of the creeds, if you grew up saying these in churches, is, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. So their belief in the church was something so important that they felt it had to be in these creeds. And I just wonder, if we asked people now, hey, write down what are the most essential things that someone needs to be a believer, to, to be a Christian, I wonder if church would make the cut. I just don't know. But the truth is that we can't just seek Christ on our own. We rely on others and we rely on the historical church that Jesus initiated and built. So throughout history, God has intended us to live in community, right? And in the creation story, he says it's not good for man to live alone. And he's not just talking about marriage there. He's saying it's not good for any of us to be seeking God or to be living out our faith alone. We have to do it together. So this morning, I'm going to talk about three aspects of what it looks like to belong to church community. And these things are all things that Jesus has done for us. And now he calls us to kind of go and be a part of that mission and do it in our community. So we're going to talk about seeing the image of God in one another. We're going to talk about reflecting the image of God to each other. And lastly, representing the image of God to others. So let's start with seeing the image of God in, one, in others. Uh, last week we talked about the creation story a little bit. And I'm just going to read that verse again about how we're made in God's image um, and how that's different. So in Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So there's a lot to the idea of being made in the image of God. And last week, we talked about the missional aspect of it, right? We're given this special call, special responsibility to bear God's image in a way that's different than the rest of creation. But one of the other aspects of it is that we are all created in God's image. Everyone. So that means that not just people here at this church, not just the people who act or look like you, not just people in America, not just people you like, 
but everybody. And that means that in some way, we need everyone together to reflect God's image. Because if you think about it, God created us all uniquely. He gave us all different personalities, different passions, different appearances. He put us in different places in the world. And somehow we all still reflect his image. And God, he's infinite, right? There are so many things that are true about God. But we are finite. There's only so much about each one of us that we can hold on to or that we can, we can do. And so I think it's important that he created us all this way because it's only when we're all together that we can fully represent the image of God the way we're called to. So if you are into personality types and that kind of a thing, that means that all 16 Myers-Briggs personality types, all nine Enneagram types, all 30-something strength finders, all of those things need to come together when we come together in order to represent God. Paul in the New Testament talks about the church as a body, and I think that's a great analogy for this, because if I asked you to represent a body, like draw a picture of a body, you wouldn't just draw a picture of an ear. That's not the whole thing. You need everybody together, all different parts of the body together, to represent God as a whole. So in that way, we're deeply connected. We need each other, and we should matter to each other. There's a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. that I thought is really helpful in explaining this concept, and he says, in a real sense, all life is interrelated. All men are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects you directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be, and you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. And you may have heard aspects of this from MLK before. Um, I know this summer a lot of yard signs went up that said that um, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. If you think about it, this is that same idea. This is where he's getting that idea from, this idea that all of us are interrelated. I love how poetic it is. We're tied in a single garment of destiny. So that means that we need to see the image of God in others. And when we really see the image of God in others, we start to see everybody's individual worth. Each individual's experience matter to us. And so if you think about that, I know it's a little bit strange because we live in a very individualistic culture. We live in a culture that says, you do you, and self-care is the most important type of care, and you need to make sure that whatever you're doing uh, is going to help you get where you need to be. But the image of God idea says that actually your spiritual growth and your health should matter to me as much as it, my own growth matters. You should care just as much about the people sitting next to you or the people commenting next to you online uh, as you do about your own self. And this sounds very strange to us. It's like a weird, like, this doesn't make sense because everything else we're told in culture is that that's not true. And so this means that the things that affect everybody else should affect us. So if the economy being down means that someone in our church or someone in your life loses their job, then the economy should matter to you. If COVID presents a big risk to somebody because they're immunocompromised or, or something else, then COVID should be a big deal to you. If police violence affects someone because of the color of their skin, then it should matter to you too, even if it doesn't affect you directly. And this is the mind and attitude that Jesus had. He said, I'm going to put 
my preferences aside, and I'm going to sacrifice for the other people, even though in Jesus' case, we had no reason for him to sacrifice for us. But he was willing to because he saw the image of God in each of us and loved us and wanted to make that sacrifice for us. So when I say all this, I'm not saying that you should go and fix everybody else's problems or try to fix everybody else's problems. That's not what I'm saying. But I think it matters that we stand with people, that we will lament with people, that we listen to other people. We ask them how they're doing, and we're able to remind them of the truth and the hope of the gospel. And on the flip side, we celebrate with them. And I actually think we do a little bit better job of this one, right? When someone gets married or when someone gets a promotion or when someone gets baptized, we're excited for them. We can join in in that celebration together. And I think it's because most of the time that's easier to do than it is to stand in the hard things, to care about the difficult things, the big problems that we can't always do anything about. But that's what it means to belong to the community of God. We need to start by seeing each person as made in his image. Okay, the next thing kind of relates to this. It's to reflect the image of God to each other. Um, okay, so what, when we look, think about what does it mean to belong to a community, we, one of the ways we can do that is say, okay, how does God do this? What does it look like for God to do this for us? And if we look at God as our example, we see that he is present with us. So this summer we studied the book of John, um, and I took a, a verse from John, and I, I'm putting it in a different translation. It's a um, paraphrased translation, so it's not quite literal, but I like the way it's worded because it kind of helps me understand it's something a little bit better. So it's John 1, uh, 14, and it says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. So the more literal translations are the ones that you're maybe more familiar with, uh, would say something like, he dwelt with us, or he lived with us. And those are kind of the, the definition uh, of the Greek word. Tr but it translates more specifically to something like, to live, to settle, or to take up residence. And so that's why I like this, he moved into the neighborhood. It gives us a very visual picture of what it means for Jesus to come and be present with us. And so he came, Jesus came, and he represented God's image. He reflected it perfectly to us. He shows us who God is. In Hebrews 1 last week, we talked about how God reveals himself to us and speaks to us through Jesus. And he wouldn't have had, we wouldn't have had that unless he came and lived with us, lived among humanity, and came to earth to do that. So as part of bearing his image to other people, we are called to continue to be present. So... As you think about this, um, again, this book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, that I referenced, Tish Harrison Warson calls these call and response friendships. And she's referencing a tradition in the Anglican church, which is what she's a part of. But call and response, more generally, is also a musical term. So if any of you were in music, uh, we were talking about music theory earlier before the church started. Uh, but we, this idea of call and response is a musical thing where there's a melody that's sung or played in one part of the song and then it's played back or repeated in some way. So I tried to come up with an example that I thought you all would know, which was difficult because this is actually like more popular in like gospel and jazz and even in some classical music. Uh, 
But one song that does this that I am sorry because it's probably going to get stuck in your head after this is the song Call Me Maybe. So you guys all know that song, right? No one here probably escaped when that was super popular. Um, but if you think about the chorus, there's she's singing the melody, and then there's this like kind of synthetic-sounding violin. No, I'm not singing it. <laughs> um, you know, this kind of like noise in the background. I called it a violin, and Joel was like, that doesn't sound like a violin. I think it's just because it's kind of like, sounds like it's synthesized or something. But you can kind of hear that, or you can go after the service, go listen to the song, and you'll hear that melody kind of repeated back or mirrored back with the, the instruments that are there. And if you think about how Christian friendship or Christian community should be, it's similar. We should be calling and responding back gospel truths to one another. So maybe someone in your life is having a difficult time, they're struggling with something, uh, they're doubting something, or they're just in a time of suffering. And what they need from their community is for the community to say the truths of the gospel and the truths of God back to them. They need hope, they need encouragement, they need reminders of things that maybe they can't remember because life is difficult in the moment. And then later on, you might be in that same similar situation and you need your community to do the same thing. So sort of this call and response, we just continue to tell the truths of God back and forth to one another. And I know sometimes it's easy to think, oh, they don't need reminders, they're really smart, they know all this stuff. But I think if you think about yourself in those moments when things are difficult, it's hard to remember those truths. And sometimes when you hear it from someone else, it's easier to be reminded and to have that live within you and understand it. So our goal as, is to represent or reflect the image of God back and forth to one another. And I understand that I told you that the whole part of this is to be present with one another. And you might be thinking, that's ironic, Julie, considering we all have to be spread out across this church building or we're online and we're separated physically. It's really hard to be present with people right now. But I want to encourage you to get creative. There are still ways to do this, even though it might take a little bit more energy. It's incredibly worth it. It's part of what belonging to a community is going to look like. And it's a mutually beneficial thing. This call and response thing, it, it means that you're going to get some benefit out of it too, if that's going to motivate you. So get creative. Um, get outside. We've had a really like reasonable January, which is impressive for Minnesota. So I think take advantage of that. Uh, I think the current restrictions are like three households gathering at once. So go for a walk with somebody. Um, I don't know. Find ways to get together. And if you're worshiping online or if you're not getting together with people in person, uh, I'd encourage you to still find ways to connect, whether it's through Zoom or Marco Polo or any kind of technology that you find works best for you. And I think one of the parts that's going to be important during this COVID season is that we're going to have to be a little bit extra vulnerable with one another because it's harder to see how people are doing and to kind of pick up on some of those visual cues that might give us hints that people are struggling when we're online or when we're on the phone. And so I think we need to take the initiative as well to be vulnerable with one another. Let people know when you need to hear that call and response of the truth of the gospel. I know it's tough and it can be hard to do that online, but I think that's going to be part of the way that we stay connected as a community and continue to reflect the image of God back and forth to one another. Okay, and the last thing is to represent the image of God to others, so people outside of our church community. 
And I read this verse last week, but I'm going to read it again. It's from 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 21. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you might be thinking, wait, how does this have anything to do with me belonging to a community? This sounds like it's something else. But surprise, when you joined this community, you became a brand ambassador of Jesus. And I'm kind of kidding, but I'm kind of not. Uh, because here it talks about being an ambassador of Christ. And an ambassador in Paul's time would have been someone who represents one country to another. But a brand ambassador in our time uh, is, I looked this up, this is the definition according to Google, is someone who is employed by an organization or company to represent a brand in a positive light and by doing so help to increase brand awareness. The brand ambassador is meant to embody the corporate identity in appearance, demeanor, values, and ethics. So I know this wasn't what Paul had in mind when he was talking about being an ambassador of Christ, but I think this modern application actually fits pretty well. So being a part of this community means representing it to other people and inviting them in. The church is not a gated community. <laughs> we are not meant to be closed off. We are meant to be welcoming. We're meant to go out and leave the gates of the, of the church and to represent Christ to other people and hopefully do it in such a way that invites them in, that they want to be a part of this community. So <laughs> I was thinking a little bit about brand ambassadors and I feel like most of the time when we think of that, we think of like uh, multi-level marketing stuff and it's like, oh, I don't really want that. I don't want to be that. And I think one of the big differences for me when I think about brand ambassadors and who I might consider, you know, trying a new product from or something like that, is that they're usually present in my life already, so we're going back to this idea of being present, and they're really passionate about what they're trying to sell me, right? I think the only thing I've ever bought from one of those types of multi-level marketing things is a Norwex cloth cleaning stuff because I had this friend who was a really big important part of my life and she was so excited about it. Like, Literally everything in their house was Norwex. They did not use anything else, and she would talk about it all the time. Not because she was trying to sell me on it, but just honestly because she was that excited about it. And so when I think about that, uh, if that works for being a brand ambassador for other things, I think about how some of those ideas transfer to what it looks like for us to be an ambassador of Christ. We need to be present in people's lives already, right? No one wants that Facebook friend who like emails, messages you randomly and is like, hey, I'm selling this thing. You want to come to my party? Or I don't know, maybe this is just a, a thing that happens more often in women, but uh, you get messages like that and it's like, I don't know you. Why would I, why would I join in that? But when we're present with other people, we have a better chance of really representing Christ in a positive way. And then the other thing is that we have to actually care about this. And that's why experiencing Jesus starts the beginning of our mission, not 
the end or not in the middle, we have to start with that. Because if we're really experiencing Jesus, if we're really seeing the gospel as the best news, the best thing that's ever happened in our lives, then it's something that we're going to want to talk about. It's something that we're going to want to share with other people, especially other people who don't already know about it. So in thinking about that, I was thinking about a couple of things that people might say, yeah, well, but what about this? What are some objections or some barriers to doing this well? And I think one of the things is that there's a belief now that uh, telling anyone what to do or to believe is a negative thing. We're told, you can't tell anyone what to believe. Everyone has their own truth. And if you do, you're almost imposing some kind of harm to that person, is I think sometimes the belief in our culture. And so I just want to take the pressure off you and say, it's okay. I'm not telling you to go out and tell other people what to believe. I'm not. All I'm telling you to do is go out and to talk about Jesus or to talk about what your faith and what God is doing. When I was looking at the uh, verse in John in the message translation, I thought, I'm just going to see what this uh, paraphrase translation has to say about the second Corinthians verse. And the, the phrase I loved most from it was that it says, God has given us the task of telling everyone what God is doing. We're Christ's rep representatives. So in the same way that your friends want to know about your life, they want to know about what you believe or what's affecting you, what's got you thinking about different things. They don't want just a sectioned off part of you. They want to get to know all of you. And when you're honestly just sharing about what God is doing in your life, it comes across as authentic. It comes across as representing God's image to other people. And so I'd encourage you to do that um, and to take some of the pressure off yourself that you don't have to convince anyone to believe a certain thing. That's between them and God. But what you're called to do is to represent Christ and to share uh, what God is up to in the world with them. Okay, then the other objection I thought is that with all of these things, uh, all three of these different things I just talked about, you might say, this is too much to ask of me. I do not have the time for this. And some of you, that may be true. But I want to kind of talk about some of the reasons that might be true and maybe some things to think about with it. So one thing is, I think a lot of us are trying to keep up too many relationships. I feel, especially for those of you who were born and raised in Minnesota, which I was not, but oh man, you have like your family, your high school friends, your college friends, your work friends. And if you've changed employers ever, you have more work friends. And you're trying to keep up with all of them. That is way too many people. And I'm not saying you should ignore those people or never hang out with them ever again. But I'm just saying, I think we put this pressure on ourselves because of technology, because of social media, that we need to be up to date with everybody and that we need to like have a great relationship with all of them. It's just not possible. As I said before, we are finite. God is infinite. We are not. That is a difference about us. And so it's not an expectation that you need to keep up with all of those people. And I think COVID may have helped some of you realize that because it's forced you to be like, oh, I can't go to that happy hour or this get together or whatever. And no one wants to get on another Zoom call. And so it's kind of helped maybe pair some of that back. And so I just encourage you to, to pray about and to think about where is God calling you to invest your time and energy? Because if you're trying to do it with everyone, you're not going to be fully present with anybody. And it's ultimately just going to lead to you feeling more alone because you're not being fully present with anybody. It's just kind of surface with everybody. 
Uh, and the other thing too is you don't need to keep all those groups of people separate. This is actually one of like the best, uh, in my opinion, one of the best and easiest ways to represent Christ to other people is just to mix your friend groups up a little bit, right? Invite some of your coworkers when we can actually get together. Um, invite your coworkers and your community group and your you know, high school friend or whoever it is that you're still connected with. You can mix them up together. I feel like some of us grew up um, having like, you know, I, when I was growing up, I had like my dance friends because that was the activity I was in. And then I had my like school friends and then I had my neighborhood friends. And you have all these different groups and they never mixed together except for maybe if you had a birthday party and it was super awkward, right? <laughs> so, but that's not how it has to be as adults. I think we all have a few, a few more social skills, hopefully. Um, and if you're intentional about inviting different people to different group settings, I think you can really have that happen more naturally. And then, too, the pressure is not all on you to be the only person who's representing Jesus or representing Christ's image to other people. Okay, I'll get off my uh, soapbox about that. Uh, but as I was thinking about all of this and thinking about kind of that barrier of, like, this just feels like too much to ask. Uh, there's a quote in this book, Reappearing Church, that I read recently, um, and it, it's kind of stuck with me because it's a little jarring. But they're talking about how there was this guy uh, back in the time of communism who switched from being a, a part of the Communist Party to joining a church. Uh, and when he got to the church, he thought, like, wow, church really doesn't ask anything of its members. Like, it's asking so little of these people, it's no wonder they're not seeing anything happen. And that kind of stuck with me because it's a little bit like, whoa. You know, the Communist Party, it was small, but it saw itself as mighty. And it asked a lot of its members, and it had a big impact. And I think sometimes we think of the church as too small, or not, you know, we don't have enough, we can't really accomplish anything, or we can't really do anything. Uh, and we think, you know, we don't want to ask a lot of people because that's just too much, it's, it's not fair to put that on people. But I think then we look at the impacts that we want to have on the larger community, and we're disappointed. And so it was just kind of convicting to me of that if I want to see impact in my community, then I have to have buy-in. And I have to be okay asking that of other people around me as well. And especially I've been thinking about this as um, the events at the Capitol happened earlier this month. Because there were a lot of people in that group who were claiming to represent Jesus. And for us, I know for me, it just made me cringe because I'm like, that's not, that's not the representation of Jesus. That's not a true example of who he is and what he believes and what it looks like to follow him. And I think a lot of us feel that uh, and we are, we're concerned. We don't want those stereotypes to be out there. And yet at the same time, we're not always willing to go out and to represent Jesus ourselves. And to be honest, it feels a little bit like one of those situations where well, if you're not going to be willing to go out and do the work, then you can't really complain. And so as I think about that, I think about it is a big ask. I'm asking a lot to say to, you know, to be invested in this mission, to experience Jesus and to make that a priority in your life, to belong to this community and to care about those around you and representing Jesus to those around you. And next week, we're going to talk about what it looks like to serve others. I know it's a big ask. But it's, a, it's part of what it means to believe in Jesus. And if we truly believe that Jesus' news is the best news in the entire world, then it shouldn't feel like that much of an ask for us. 
If we're really saying, I want Jesus to be the first priority in my life because what he did for me, his sacrifice for us, his willingness to come be present with us, even though we're such messed up people, to die for us, to rise again and defeat sin and death for us, I feel like that's something I'm willing to get behind. That's a purpose I'm willing to get up for in the morning. That's something I want to commit my life to. And I think as a church, that's what we want. We want to be image bearers. We want to be people who are out there reflecting Jesus in the way uh, as he continues to make us new and continues to make us more like him. So we're going to wrap up and we're going to move into a time of reflection. And while we're reflecting, uh, the question I want you to consider is just, how might God be calling you to bear God's image in one of those ways? Whether it's seeing the image of God in other people, moving past our hyper-individualistic culture and being willing to take on the needs of other people, or whether it's reflecting God's image to each other, kind of that call and response type of friendship, or representing the image of Christ to others, being willing to share what God's up to in the world. And I know it's a lot, so I'm just going to say pick one. Pick one of those questions, one of those things that you feel like God is calling you to think about, to pray about, uh, and to maybe take steps and action towards. And while you're reflecting, we're going to take communion. And I know I've been referencing this book a lot, but it's really good. I'd highly recommend it. In Liturgy of the Ordinary, uh, Tish Harrison Morrison talks about how she had a priest once who, when they took communion, he would say, imagine the communion table, which <laughs> we don't have. Imagine your little communion cups on a table um, that stretches out miles and miles and miles. And all of the saints, all of the people who have believed in Jesus throughout history, throughout the church's history, are at that table with us. And that's what we do. When we take communion, we are remembering together the sacrifice that God made. So I encourage you, if that's a helpful image for you, I'm a very visual learner, if that's a helpful thing for you to think about, uh, to think about this table as being incredibly long, and all of us are sitting at it, even if we're six feet apart or if we're all together, um, that this is something that we can do together to remember what God has done for us. So I'm going to pray, and the worship team is going to come up, uh, and then we'll have that time of reflection together. Father, we thank you that uh, you have given us a purpose. You've given us a reason to get up in the morning, um, even on days and weeks when it feels like we're hitting the pandemic wall, when things have been hard, um, when it's been a long year plus, uh, that you are still with us, that your sacrifice for us is still true, that your hope and encouragement for us is still there, and that we can trust in that. And not only can we just trust in it, but we can be a part of it that we can join you in your mission uh, and that we can bear your image in all sorts of different ways to people around us and our community and to those who aren't. So Lord, I just pray that you would be with us, that you would transform us into your image more and more, that we would reflect on you and see the ways that we can represent you uh, in the world and the ways in which you've called us. In all these things we pray, amen.